This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Video Junkyard Podcast. You've landed at episode number 116, I believe. Oof. Uh, with me, as always, is uh, my good friend and co-host, Joe Peterson. How's it going tonight, Joe? It's going pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, not too bad. Um, cool. Then, uh, our kids started doing uh, preschool recently on Zoom, which is interesting, but that's a been our only back-to-school craziness. I'm sure your family is having a good time with that, being that your kids are of actual school age. We've still gotten lucky. Crazy's crazy's the Uh, word I would use to describe it, though. I am intrigued how preschool on Zoom works. Is it just like... I don't know. I mean, I would imagine that's just the same as, like, Zooming with grandparents. (laughs) I was um, skeptical about it, especially because it did cost money to enroll them in it. Um, but they've done a really good job with it. They actually, you know, uh, other than the time they're supposed to be up moving around and, you know, dancing to songs or whatever, they've actually keep the kids pretty engaged. Uh, the teacher that does it's doing a really good job. So That's cool. So, yeah, my kids are doing the hybrid yeah, learning no. thing where it's like they're they're in one day, they're home the next day. But because, you know, you got a five-day, you know, school week, if they go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one week, then they go Tuesday, Thursday, the next, and then it flips back. And then it, so it's... My schedule has also had to fluctuate because of that and all this stuff. So it's been interesting. But I, I do have to say, for the first grade teacher and the fifth grade teacher that we're working with, when the kids are doing at-home learning, they're, they've done an incredible job in, yeah. in embracing it. Which, I don't know. I mean, I kind of go back and forth. Also, coming in from like a teacher perspective, like this whole you know, uh, virtual learning thing you know that we've kind of looked down on it for years but in the background the technology has been getting better and the tools have been there for a while and i think overall academia whether you're looking at you know higher ed or elementary school and everything in between we've all kind of like eh but it actually is not bad um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are, at least in the white-collar sector of yeah. jobs, are finding that, you know, the American workplace can exist this way, too. It's not actually yes, it this can. terrible thing that... Um, but there's you know, a lot they, of people that this doesn't work for. It absolutely no, does it, not. It, absolutely. I mean, it's not going to work for everything. There is there is work out there. That's why I kind of mentioned that it's more... Oh, yeah, you know, totally. ...prevalent in the white-collar, because there's no way, you know, hands-on work is not going to go away just because... Well, and, you know, I, I said this about the uh, the protests that were, were happening back in June, and th- there's there's a similar theme here, and that's that let's see how this all shakes out. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I think it's great that we're, we're finding these tools to really make things work. Um, and I'm I, just with, and with that other topic, I'm so glad that people are finally bringing attention to this. But let's see how people act six months from now. You know, we we do have a short right. attention span when it comes to, you know, how we respond to things. 
So <laughs> yeah, I I'm curious to see how that is all gonna gonna pan out. Uh, but you know we'll yeah we'll see. I, as of right now, it's it's um, we're only a few weeks in, and my kids just got their Chromebooks sent home that they're borrowing from the school for their virtual mm-hmm. learning days, which I think is great. They're like preloaded with all the software and stuff that they need. Um, and the teachers, like I said, have been doing a great job with, with putting all that together. But uh, we'll, we'll see how it looks next semester. But then again, yeah. who knows what ever, anything's going to look like next couple of months. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully everybody out there dealing with this stuff, back to school stuff, is uh, it's working out well for your families too. So it's uh, that's right. Yeah. Crazy times, and this has just been like the most recent. Uh, well, okay, maybe it's not the most recent crazy thing, but it's the newest thing I think most families are having to deal with right this moment. It's the newest so. thing this week. Yeah, I yeah. mean, <laughs> you don't want to cause a panic or anything. Right, right, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah, can't, can't talk, tell anything, anything, anybody, anything uh, you, you, serious or dangerous and cause a panic. Don't want to cause a panic. Mm-hmm. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> So we, you know, of course, open the show up talking about family stuff because we have a very family-friendly show for you today. Just kidding. No. Yeah, I got to say, man, you picked this one. Jesus Christ. I will yeah, say, so while watching is... it with my wife, at one point she turned to me and said, who picked this? And I said, Eric. And she goes, what the fuck, man? Yeah. So, um... Expect that conversation next time we see you. Oh yeah, yeah. I expect. I always kind of expect she's gonna get on me about my picks for things because I know she actually watches them. So she does. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> this this was one. Um, oof. Yeah. Well, I guess let's let let everybody know what we're talking about here. We are gonna talk about the 1981 um, crime drama, maybe uh, Abel Ferreira's film Ms. Forty Five. Every day, on every street, in every city, women are insulted, abused, threatened. What is she hiding? Where is she going? And, uh, yeah, this one is certainly not a feel-good, family-friendly film, that's for sure. I mean, it is classified Um, as, like, an, an exploitation thriller. Oh, certainly. And I can yeah. see that. Um, do you want to describe the plot? Yeah, and uh, the I got a one-line synopsis here, and it pretty much does it. But it's a, a twice-raped New York garment worker becomes a violent agent of revenge for wronged women. And um, yeah. that pretty much, in a nutshell, is uh, what this movie's about. So it's, it is a one of the 
kind of first movies that will get mentioned probably right under uh, my spit on your grave and uh, thriller a cruel picture um, as the kind of great exploitation examples of the rape revenge subgenre mm-hmm. of exploitation films which are you know there's a actually I, I looked it up and I was just shocked at the number of these things that are out there and about how many I had seen and not really like mentally categorized into the rape revenge genre um so basically that being any movie where there is a violent sexual act committed against somebody and the rest of the plot focuses on them conducting their revenge against their attackers or even just the society that allows it to happen that allows it to happen and and so this this does that i mean it it, it's not subtle in anything (laughs) and even in its symbolism and and i know that um I, I, Ferrara is kind of known for symbolism, but yeah. this is early in his career, well, especially later. This is a very early film of his. Yeah, and maybe maybe the first where he really like breaks through into the, at least into like the cult success. <laughs> you know how you know how the original Dawn of the Dead is like. Oh, I get it. Zombies are coming to a mall to consume. The brainless masses are going to a mall to consume. Wink, wink. It's like not a very <laughs> yeah. subtle bit of symbolism. Yeah, this is up there with that. I mean, you've got not only is it you know this woman is raped twice in one day, but she's mute. So you have <laughs> within the silent... first five minutes of the film. Yeah, it's in the first five fucking minutes. Both of them in the first <laughs> yeah. like ten. Um, but and and she's mute. It's... So mm-hmm. you've got this you know this tr- horrific series of events that happens to this woman, and she is silent about it. I mean, there's clearly yep. symbolism there. And I guess what pissed me off watching this, and it wasn't the movie, it was like, motherfucker, this shit's coming up, like, in your face, 1981. Yeah. 20, 2016, 2017, we have the Me Too movement. People are like, really? Well, yeah. No shit, um, really. <laughs> this isn't it, One of the first thoughts I had when, you know, watching the, the first 20 minutes of this film, there, there's uncomfortable shit throughout this movie because it really doesn't, like you said, it has no subtlety. At its heart, it's still an exploitation film, but I feel like it's one that, you know, is is using its, you know, over-the-topness to, to say something, to make a point. And I think at one point in my life, I would have watched a movie like this and felt like, um, you know, oh, this is so over... You know, I would have gotten the point of it, but, like, I would have felt like, oh, this is, you know, played up uh, to sure. make a point. Um, you know, men don't really... Not that they don't act like this, but it's just not so common. But then, you know, the past five years have gone by, and I, I feel like we've learned so much as a society that, like, okay, you know, this actually feels like a representation of what somebody might, you know, feel like, especially in 1980s New York. Oh, right? absolutely. We have all of these, you know, New York crime films from that time, and the, the New York was a rough place in the 80s, so oh, I hear. Yeah. And this was a, you know, legitimate concern, but... Um, yeah, I mean the the every male character in this movie is just a piece of shit, right? <laughs> right, and and I and I, I like how you worded that. Yeah. I got not to put words in your mouth, but yes, I think there was a time when it would have been acceptable to be like, "Hey, not all men are like this," you know? Yeah. <laughs> which, but, but the point I is, mean, which but of it's a society true, that but... doesn't give a shit that there yeah. are men that are, you know. Um, well, and often they're protected, and you know they're. Yeah, there's there's nothing. Well, because under the circumstances, nothing is reported about her her experiences. Um, you know, yeah. like the first. Rapist. Well, she's a mute, and you know, everyone who's concerned about her, she she chooses also not to share any of this 
with them. Right, and um, I, I really the, appreciate the inclusion of post-traumatic stress disorder throughout this entire mm-hmm. movie. This isn't just, I was wronged and now I'm going to hurt people. You can clearly see a very... I'm, I'm, I want to be careful with the word tasteful. Um, but it really, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, no, no, under no, the circumstances, it really is. I mean, for an exploitation film... Okay, God damn it, we're recording this, and I'm about to say this, and Jesus <laughs> Christ. For a movie with two rape scenes in the first ten minutes, it's actually quite reserved as a film. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be it could be a lot worse. The, the, that just feels the so wrong to that say. Cause, yeah. The cause Thana, the character played by um, Zoe Lund or Zoe Tamerlis in this movie, um, is just brutalized for the first five minutes of the 10 minutes of this movie like she is just i mean she's got a shit job she's a she's a mute um so she's already dealing with a disability and um kind of kind of in a weird position at work i mean you get this like basically this yeah. quick kind of sad portrait of her life and then on top of that she's attacked twice in one day um and it's a really heavy start i mean the whole movie's kind of heavy but that but I think all of that is incredibly necessary to do the next part of what this movie is all about. And that is, you know, seeing the change in her character. You know, at first it kind of looks like, oh, you know, she's having this. I don't know if it's ever played to be a positive thing, but like she is having this reaction that you understand because, you you know, you've seen these terrible things happen to her. And you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's totally what, you know, totally what I would do. I'd, you know, you know, get that, get a gun and get out there and, you know, change the world and, you know, take take revenge back on these people. But then you start to see the cracks in her and what, you know, what this trauma has done to her and that she has gone beyond just revenging, you know, taking revenge on the people that wronged her and, and has become this warrior for this even, like, demented moral quest that she kind of ends up going on yeah, at the end of and that that's actually one of my complaints about this is it, it it's going for a while there's there's some you know there's a guy who's you know catcalling women and really you know, it's bad enough that he's standing on the street corner harassing every woman that runs by but then he sees her and he starts chasing after her and mm-hmm. it's like you can tell this guy's not going to just talk and she right. ends up shooting him just turns around and blows his head off you know blasts him in the face um in self that the first that was the first real the first although she she did kill her attacker yeah the one that attacked her in her apartment so there's there's a murder but it's it's certainly self-defense and some very the clever ways murder... of disposing disposing body parts too i will i will <laughs> give it yeah. that it, it inspired a conversation here about what is it with people in movies and sometimes in real life uh, killing people and storing body parts in the refrigerator. What is it about the refrigerator? And it created like a long conversation here in this house about, <laughs> well, you know, that's actually not a bad plan because then right, you get to mess with the time of go. death. And yeah, you know, it kind of derailed. But <laughs> anyway, um, it does quickly change into just kind of anybody. Like she's just killing yeah. any guy, and well, she get gets a little power mad with the you know, and then so any any old guy that's acting a bit off is become starting to become a target, uh, to the point where she 
you know, in the climax of the film, spoiler alert, if you guys haven't watched it, head over to Tubi and check it out before continuing with the show, but uh, ends up, you know, going to a Halloween party with a bunch of coworkers and literally executing pretty much every man in the right um, place. So this this is the, you know, the, the culmination of all of, you know, essentially the culmination of her, her trauma, but also, you know, the um, culmination of her... I don't know if I, I feel bad calling it a power trip because you, you still relate to like her at first, you know, her having these reactions and then, um, but you do see that she's broken in a way. And, and, uh, and I think that's it, what bothered me about it personally, um, was, and, and I, I hate it when people criticize a movie for not being a different movie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and at, at the risk of doing that, um, there were so many opportunities especially for our what's to, what's to push symbolism. Mm-hmm. He had some great opportunities here that he I felt missed. And one of the biggest problems I have with this movie is, okay, we've got a woman experience unspeakable trauma, and they're showing the, the damage that that comes with. And that's a revenge movie, but ultimately, by the end, she's a psychopath. And, yeah. and it's kind of like, motherfucker, dude, you could have had her find her voice or something, you know? Like, there's, there's things you could have done with this, but th- there's... I mean, she does. She has one line of dialogue at the end of the film, but... She does? Yeah. Yeah, when she is uh, stabbed in the back by her female co-worker, um, she looks at her and questioningly asks, Sister? Oh, I like thought a... that was just, like, weird whisper <laughs> voiceover. I didn't know that was actually her yeah. saying it. Um, yeah. And by the way, that female coworker, that coworker is awesome because early, the only other scene you really see her in the movie is when they're all out at a diner and this asshole oh, yeah. comes up hitting on them all, and she just chases him off. Just get the fuck out of here. Fuck off. Leave. Go. And just full New York attitude, and it works. Yeah. Well, in a way, and I think she's a, she's an influence in in a lot of ways to to Thana feeling empowered because that's you know moments before the guy she chases off ends up the guy that kind of won't leave her alone. And takes her back to his photo studio and um, ends up being and, and, uh, yeah. a victim of hers. So What's up with the guy the, that she's visiting with in the bar who's telling her the story about how his wife <laughs> cheated on him yeah. and he killed her cat? And she tries to kill him. The gun jams. Takes the gun and he blows his own, head, you know, blows his own brains out. I, I, I watch that scene like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what they were going for in that scene, except you know basically shock value of it didn't go the way you thought it was gonna go, and it didn't go the way she thought it was gonna go either. So I think it it shocked you know Thana was very shocked by that moment as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting choice. It's only gonna be in a you know a movie like this, which is very solidly an exploitation film. Like it's it's going to get you a violent scene every yeah. you know 10 and 15 minutes and I, um i feel that's a weird weird moment I, I feel like the scene uh you know we're kind of going through all of her victims but um mm-hmm. if we, you know use that word um which i'm reluctant to but yeah i'm reluctant to too but i guess in the end you know if you're a victim of murder you are a victim yeah, whether or not yeah. you're... uh there's the the sultan that pulls up with he and his driver you know and they're just mm-hmm. like, hey, you want to ride? But it's like, okay, yeah, you know, creepy, scummy dirt bag. And she gets in the car. Yeah. Uh, that If the movie would have ended right there, awesome. But, yeah. and even when she killed them, I was like, all right, whatever, you know. But. 
That's the start of her like crazy murder run. That pretty much yeah, it's pretty, leads up to the climax yeah, of the movie. But pretty much from that point on, it's like, oh, here's another here's another example of a woman who's broken by society and horrible acts, and it drove her insane on a murdering spree. And I don't know, I just for all of that symbolism that is not at all veiled in the very beginning, just introducing this character and what happens and everything, I I just feel like. It, it it's if he had a message to say he said it in the beginning the writer director for uh he said it in the beginning and then the last half of the movie is just fuck that let's have you know let's have an exploitation movie let's just exploit this yeah that's personally that's how i took it is i i had a hard time after a while like really seeing that symbolism handled respectfully it, it felt like it it was we're going to give you something you know something to think about and you know a bit sophomoric but you know like oh yeah she's silent and all that um but yeah then when it just went exploitation just let's have her shooting everybody for every fucking reason you know like i could there was the guy there's the the one guy in chinatown who's like making out with his girlfriend and she goes back to work and he's just walking down the street going home and she follows him to kill him did I yep. miss something? <laughs> yeah, that one was a weird one because I I was trying to figure out what he did that like crossed any lines because he didn't seem to do anything um, other than just public you know <laughs> PDA public display of affection like yeah um, that was about the only thing and maybe that was enough to set her off at this point like um, I don't know I I, I play a devil's advocate a little bit because I do kind of agree with what you know what you're saying mm-hmm. and I see that as a as a valid critique of this film however. I do think that having her evolve as a character after murder has become something that, and not just defense, self-defense, but like she's actually taken the next step and, um, you know, decided that she's going to be something else like this avenging angel, you know, kind of character. She always, she's a very, the character of Thana is very kind of, I don't know how you respectfully like describe, but she, I, I was gonna. She's she's kind of downplayed. Like she doesn't have a lot of makeup on. She doesn't do a whole lot with um, but she totally changes when she goes. You know, out on the hunt, she becomes this. Uh, you know, kind of she dolls herself up, puts makeup on. You know, literally goes out trying to attract the kind of people that she's then going to. Right. Um. You know, which makes sense, of course. But she, I think to you have to look at the this idea of beyond beyond the damage done by the terrible things that have happened to her and the trauma she's endured at some point when you decide to take that next step into this like we talked about in the boondock saints episode is the the vigilantism right because this is very much a vigilante oh, type absolutely movie as yeah. well. and i think you you have to be careful because like our criticism with the boondock saints was that we felt like that movie was was cheerleading for vigilantism and was actually like embracing them and i think if you follow that route now it still would have been a little easier to cheer for her because we saw these awful you know just the awful shit way she was treated by the world and people around her um but i think you got to be careful to to i think this movie does a good job of not embracing that by making you you know be you aware of the cracks in her and her becoming almost like you said at the end like almost a psychopath um she becomes so convinced that she's a hero like to the point where she's honestly shocked like 
beyond shocked that another woman ends up being the person that kills her because she i think she sees herself as being the avenger for for women like everybody would just automatically understand what she was doing um so that's that's a you know a moment that is i think a very important as well and it's a, it's the you know the realization that she's her own realization that she's gone off the edge because because up to that point i think she thinks she's just doing the right thing defending herself being some sort of a hero so this movie unlike something like boondock saints actually has some criticism i think of the the vigilante and it shows them as a person who is although damaged um in a way that you know we all we all i mean you intensely feel bad for this character but i I don't think we ever get to a point of fully condoning her actions no i think they have to go a bit off the rails like to no i i wouldn't put this on like the boondock saints or death wish type of situation where it's you know but at the same time um you know most of the murders are most of most of the people she kills in this are people that the audience is going to want to see they're they're not going to care they're not oh, going to yeah. feel bad um you feel like most of these people deserve it i mean even down even right down to the i mean until she walks down those stairs of the party scene at the end and starts just randomly killing people i think you don't really feel bad for anyone that she kills i mean they're all all scumbags even the you know the mugging in central park where she just you know what kills like five or six um quote unquote like criminals or thugs or whatever yeah like um, you know like little gang members or something because they they circle yeah. around her they're clearly going to do something to her you got the guy who you know she goes to the bar with and then goes and sits on a park bench at night to look out at the river and he's continuing to tell her this story about his you know failing relationship and you know <laughs> he mentions he strangled her cat which isn't good no that's fucked up Right, but that was one of the weirder scenes in the movie. And then the, the the other one you mentioned with the guy who was just like kissing his girlfriend, and then walks away. Right, but those or are kissing a woman. I guess we don't have any context, but still, nothing that. Yeah, and unless there's something I I missed, right? But yeah, no, this cut that we saw is like supposed to be the most complete cut of the movie. So I don't think there's anything that we're we're missing there that was intended yeah, in the film. But yeah, so there's there's some of those things, and even the way that she's taken out at the end by that co-worker who you know is you know you see standing up for herself and shooing guys away mm-hmm. at the beginning you know she stabs her in the back but she's holding the knife like a phallus the entire time which yeah, is it, so i'm like That's... why okay so look we got a director who just crams the symbolism in here and it's very in your face but what so what am i what am i supposed to take from that yeah, I, I'm not sure what to make of that myself, honestly. Because it's very uh, obvious. It's an interesting choice. It's very yeah. obvious that's not coincidental. No, I would think you not. Know, I mean, especially Abel Ferreira, like going on, and, and I don't, I've not seen many of his films, but I know by reputation that he's a you know director that is very much into symbolism in his films. So, so yeah, I just so I don't yeah, know, like what that's not an accident. No, you've think, got this, and, and like you said, you know, you got this ending where it's like she's supposed to have this realization that she's been, she's gone too far. Um, which, uh, I don't know, that's risky in and of itself. Like, let's have a movie that opens up with a woman being raped twice, and then the moral at the end is she went too far. You know, well, that's a little it, touchy. And then, oh, and she's killed, taken out by a strong woman at the end holding a knife like a phallus. I'm like, I don't really know what to think of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it, it's kind of a... 
thrown in the side of the entire subgenre, like the rape revenge subgenre, which have been either <laughs> one or two like vehemently hated or kind of embraced and loved by feminist critics, so female and feminist critics. Um, it, go, it goes all across the board. It, it's, it should be, as it should be, it, it's dependent more upon film, but I think in general you see these groups of people that like really cling on to these, and there's actually, you know, there's been a fair amount of writing of how these are, you know, strong feminist films in an era that this that was not. Um, and especially in a, in a genre that was not. So these are like exploitation movies coming out that are usually kind of on the other side of the coin. And these are showing, you know, female characters that are being depicted, you know, one, semi-realistically, but at least having to deal with like real world problems, as, you know, it, that a woman might experience in the world. Beginning to act as like the... Uh, person i'm not coming up with the right word but like they, they get to choose their own destiny um they're not kind of like you know they don't have to go to a big strong man to save them from all of these things they these are people that take their revenge whether or not it's uh you know the right thing to do quote unquote they they, they react to you know they have these things happen to them they, they go and they affect the world and they do this uh you know fight back against the world all by themselves without having to have this big you know male hero come in and save them from everything so it's oh I yeah seen I mean, it movies in this genre i don't think to yeah it would have been would have been horrible if all of a sudden it's like and here comes you know this big hero that you know comes in and swoops and saves the day or something but i don't know i still feel like if if i were you know you read the summary which is an accurate summary absolutely but yeah. you know one could yeah. also summarize this like you know woman is raped remains silent and it gets worse. Yeah. Because that's, that's... kind of what it... Yet at the same time, you know, but that being said, the the silence is... You know, the, the silence will consume you and drive you insane. And it, I don't know. It just... it it, And I know that this came out in 81. And I'm sure in 81. I know that this was despised when it first came out. Like this was yeah. considered. To it be was disturbing. definitely one that turned heads. I mean, for better or worse, but and I know that it's since gone on to be a bit of a. I I, I am hesitant to call it a cult classic, but it's it's definitely made some lists of you know films and and yeah. I I'm not sure if this one in particular. I I couldn't find anything on it, but I'm not sure if this one in particular is is embraced by uh you know the feminist movement. I don't know. I could not find anything specifically written about this movie either. I, I actually, when I read yeah. when I read that little like blurb about it, I went and tried to find it, and yeah, just so yeah. all of you out there know, I I don't have any any reviews one way or the other from somebody that's looking at this in a feminist light. Yeah, so, I don't I don't know, and I, and I think that it's because, especially in by today's standards, this is is a well, it's it's a rough watch no matter what. But I think in this one, there's some questionable themes you know like i'm saying like what's the moral at the end it's you know well you know i i'm not really sure it, it doesn't i i think doing a movie like this today where it's like and she goes insane and starts on a you know a, a murderous rampage isn't gonna go well um that being right. you know regardless of what's happened um i mean let's look at this and like and, and... Not like I'm going to say that that's... I'm not going to go either way on whether that's a feminist read of the movie or not. Right, um, I, I, I don't but know. But let's, let's think of this plot line, but let's take, let's take female out of it, and let's take rape out of it, and let's make it war and soldier, male soldier, 
um, this movie so it's like Rambo. becomes a PTSD <laughs> story. Yeah, yeah, you got first blood. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, and I think that's a valid story. We're not questioning the damage done to John Rambo in first blood and why we're not... I don't, know, I don't want to go too far because I, because I kind of agree with you. I mean, I think that's a valid question. It's like, you know, is it really, you know, by, by modern standards, are we really getting that? Um... Yeah. And I would say even by modern standards, First Blood points out some some important problems even at around the same time this was made. That, was, is that, that came out mm-hmm. just a few years later, um, you know, with the treatment of veterans and post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, I, that's those are all valid things. But. Look, the 80, the eighties was a time. This is too not when, as classy of a movie as first. No, blood but eighties the eighties was a time too where we weren't supposed to be thinking too deep about these things. Right. You know, I we weren't. You know, I'm just we, saying. I think like the PTSD aspect of this is um, because we so want to. I think we want to side with with Thana's revenge. I think we want that middle act thana where we yep. were watching you know we feel good about her doing that we want that to be the feeling we walk away from but in the real world like we know that that's you know and i don't know that in the real world is not a great way to put it because it's such an over-the-top movie but um we know that that kind of stuff doesn't happen without you know adding to the effects of that original trauma like each time that something you know, one of these events happens you you see this change and so i feel like it's it's kind of where we were where we're going with if if you're taking this you know trauma and then post-traumatic stress causing someone to act in a way that isn't you know typical of their character um that you're always going to kind of end up in a morality tale like this you're always going to kind of end up at that ending you know the the say whether it be first blood or whether it's this movie they're always going to be off the rails by the time the climax of the story comes. Oh, yeah. And again, not to go off on a tangent on something else unrelated, but the fact that the the movie First Blood spawned numerous sequels with John Rambo being this badass hero, and we completely <laughs> forget about like the true mental trauma this guy's going through in First Blood yeah. is very telling about what the goals were for storytelling in the 80s. It was about, <laughs> right. you know badass and i think ferrera was trying to make a positive statement with this movie about you know you know that uh, violence breeds violence and you know all of that but i think when you look at it through a lens in 2020 um yeah. it's it's kind of like yeah nice try for back then but by today it's still a far cry so yeah. well, know, I mean, and I think it's that's probably be... why it's not championed as like a, at least to my knowledge, as like a strong feminist, you know, movie. I, because I, I think, think it, that would be a stretch. That's a stretch. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but I don't think it's totally devoid of those things either. No, like no. it's somewhere on the like. Yeah. Like, that's and, why I said like if the movie ended, maybe a good thirty minutes earlier. And without that damn song that lasts for the last oh, fifteen Jesus minutes, Christ, yeah. Um, you know, I think that <laughs> would have. That's, that's like, like my prom, number one like detraction. night again, movie. Jesus Christ! Yeah. Well, it's not as but bad. The as scene could have been. The scene was great, but with different music, it would have been better because it's. Uh, yeah, that just. Yeah, and then they roll credits with a repeat of the damn song. I think they did that in Prom Night too, by the way. But mm-hmm. it's a. Uh, yeah, there, there's anyway. there's some characters in this too. I want to talk a little bit about some of the other characters that you see yeah, repeatedly. Yeah, um, there's the nosy neighbor. 
Oh God! With yeah, her dog. she is uh, straight out of like a John Waters movie or something. Oh, like, yeah. Um, she's just the most obnoxious. I mean, she's kind of like poorly acted a bit too, but like it's it's somewhere in between like bad performance and just like she's going hard at like being this obnoxious character. But um, yeah, she's one of my least favorite things about the movie too. Like, you you poor, have poor little dog. Yeah. <laughs> you, then you have her boss, who is the guy who runs the uh, uh, the, the boutique, and he's a also a big scumbag. You yeah. know, a lot of groping and touching and stuff. Um, yeah, you get the feeling he's a creep right away. I mean, even prior to her being attacked, like they get him characterized, and yeah, um, turns out he obviously is it's a, right. Um, and then you've got like her other friends from work who are generally supportive of, you know, they, yeah. they try to include her in things and they're, they're trying to be friendly to her, but they have a little bit, you know, like you mentioned, they're not struggling with it. I'd say struggling, but they're not, you know, living with a disability and they're, you know, a little bit tough and vocal and she, you know, everything she's not, you know, yeah. you, you get the impression she goes to work, she does her job, she comes home. Um, and and then yeah she doesn't seem to have any relationships with anybody um, no no so that was and that's about it really for supporting cast this is a very small movie in yeah. a big big city which it gives it kind and of an interesting the dog, I think is probably the, the dog uh, there's also like it almost <laughs> gives it like a claustrophobic feel um because you've got this very small cast very tight cast and then this big city that even though it's you know big it's just buffered around um it's also as you know in typical 80s vigilante movie style it's depicted as just you know crime ridden like around every corner is another person lurking <laughs> to ready to do you wrong right which you know is it's typical of the kind of movie this is but um yeah so it, not even i don't even think at its worst it's a real accurate depiction of new york it's pretty fictionalized but mm -hmm. yeah um but uh, otherwise yeah the, the the one part that i my sick sense of humor got the biggest kick out of though is so she kills her second attacker um again with you know uh some of the symbolism there is is really kind of interesting she kills him with a glass apple there's a yeah. lot of like fairy tale type images in this like visions kind of a thing it's it's a little it's interesting uh but yeah she kills him with that and then with an iron and then dismembers him and keeps all of his body parts wrapped up in plastic bags in the fridge and slowly just starts getting rid of them like mm -hmm. walking down the street just toss that bag you're carrying into the garbage can and keep walking and nobody bats an eye it's she's very deliberate about going into different places though like even traveling off of her normal route to oh yeah the, the, the dump it in cans away from her there's there's you know, the guy who's loading location. luggage into his trunk of his car and he steps away for a second she just tosses a bag in there and then off he goes to michigan or wherever <laughs> you know yeah. or georgia i think it was um so yeah i thought that was amusing um and there there was a, a line that a throwaway line that i was waiting for them to do something more about uh, and they didn't because you're seeing her dumping these, you know, black garbage bags, which, by the way, the movie's not very graphic. 
I want to give it. No, that. it really for all the you know, for everything we kind of said about it, it doesn't like the murderer and like, it's not incredibly, like it's not gory. It's, There's uh, a dismem. You just mentioned dismemberment. You don't really get. You do get a like shot of some gross crap in the drain at one point that is that is legitimately a gross moment but that's really all you get out of that you just get the arm and the knife and the yeah it's it's not over the top. i mean you get it, her face her reaction enough. to it though. it's enough like the rape scenes mm. it's enough they didn't need to oh, show yeah, yeah. anymore it's, they show I'm enough not, um, yeah it's it's not that it's not a graphic film it's not a gory film there's a lot right, of blood and guts right. but um but yeah there's a line when she's getting rid of these parts and you hear a, a line on the radio about you know talking about like oh there's been these weird murders lately uh this you know 45 caliber killer or whatever and then the next news story that they cut out is uh you know something about uh a strike with the sanitation workers in new york <laughs> which makes me think oh we're we gonna start seeing trash build up uh we're we gonna start seeing more body parts and in, in there but they never really did anything with it yeah no never but i was kind of waiting for that i heard that line i went oh i see where this is going and i was wrong <laughs> it didn't go anywhere with that no but so yeah this this yeah, is it's... i'm glad we did this one you know with a little bit of a break I... in between after boondock saints because i do think it is a good comparison about this kind of revenge murder sub genre um, yeah, and I kind of intentionally picked it as a counterpoint to that because, I mean, essentially I wanted to think about what it was that, after kind of ripping Boondock Saints a new one, <laughs> what it was about that movie that I didn't care for when there are films like this, like Vigilante films that I did remember enjoying. And and honestly, I think it's just the way it treats the subject matter. Like, um, like we've said earlier, like I think the Boondock Saints movie is just fully kind of like look at how cool this is you know if these dudes these dudes could just get some guns and go clean up the streets like i think troy duffy's script is fully fully endorsing that as an idea yeah <laughs> like you know if someone just did this the world could be a better place that that is like the opposite of what i think is being said here right um like if this is looking at the damage that not only the damage that you know crime and like obviously a rape and um that, that that can do to people but the damage that that in in turn can do you know to the world and just yeah and so she's a person that you know Thana's a character that is driven over the edge by these things that happen to her and by this trauma and so i don't think it's the same kind of movie at all even though they have some certain uh, similarities and I, I think that's what works for me about this is because it's it's dealing with it in a serious way it's not you know just a post tarantino 90s we're gonna be cool killing a bunch of people um which boondock saints being so light on its its morality or especially it's using the catholic church as a source of morality really hurts it when uh you know something like this is a little more is it done perfectly no i don't think so but it's 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 a little more it's at least asking the questions you would want it to ask i think yeah um, and I'll, I'll give it that you know I, I keep comparing it to death wish which you're right is just like mm. 
guys you it's know, more similar to death wish because it's contemporary to death wish i think too yeah but. and you know death wish is, is you know still this popular but they just remade it i mean it had a million death sequels. wish by the way is a movie that is classified in this rape revenge genre because of what happens to his wife and daughter in the movie so um right. even though it's not the person who experienced the actual um rape doing the revenge in that movie it does fall under according to wikipedia it falls under that. but in that one yeah there's never anything at the end about like this is wrong yeah like you've gone too far and i think that's in and of itself a, a bit of a sexist thing in a way that it, it, yeah i think that's a point in, in this one in in miss 45 that is the whole thing. It's like, oh yeah, I know you're raped, but you know you went too far. And then you know, Death Proof, Death Wish gets a million sequels and a remake. You know, like you mentioned <laughs> right. with with First Blood. You know, if you take out this stuff and, and now you put it like it's a soldier, it's a, it's a guy and he's a soldier and everything. It's like you went too far, but no, you didn't go too far because I get it because you're because you've had trauma. Um, you know, spawns a million sequels and a recent remake or reboot, right? And then this mm. one, it's you know a one shot thing, and no, you you know like one one film, and yeah, you know, she she goes too far, and so I don't know. I think there's a lot to unpack here. People that I'll be honest, um, smarter than me, with these types of uh, with with this issue, and and you know that i'm sure could comment more and i would love to hear more yeah about it well honestly i, I wish we had you know and i i know we couldn't in a million years talk talk to your wife and even though she watched it with you to come on and actually talk about this but i wish we would have you know could have a, a female perspective on this as you know and because i we're doing that thing like when we talk about yep. um you know where we're two you know cisgendered white male midwestern white males sitting here talking about the feminist viewing of this movie and that's why like i I, you know i throw my arms up and say i'm not i'm not going to go on and say what is and what isn't in line with that like oh absolutely and yeah i totally i can get what i can get out of it and that's it full (laughs) disclosure we recognize the irony of this and and yeah totally recognize that absolutely Mm -hmm. Uh, like you know same thing when we, we talk about you know films that deal with race i totally get i am i am essentially talking out of my ass here i totally recognize that but i i would love to see the conversation continue um this is not an easy movie to watch especially and it's probably even more so for for women i mean i think it's absolutely well even if you skipped over the first 20 minutes it's still a hard movie to watch um, because you are seeing a lot of objectification and you are seeing a lot of not so subtle nods at violence against women and a society that does nothing about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's some of the director's choices. Well, the objectification is cranked up to 11 too, just to, because yeah, of the kind of movie, because of is. the content. But I still think even with that stuff aside, I just, I'm, I'm, really thought about this one a lot too more than i really wanted to to be honest um (laughs) because it's it's rather lurid but just trying to wrap my head around some of the as ryan would say if he were on the show right now you know you know bold creative decisions that were (laughs) made with this like the okay so you're gonna I, i go back to it again you make her mute and what do you do with that and it you know what does that mean to this film and i don't 
I can't tell from the beginning to the I mean, end. Besides from being a really obvious, you know, allegory to like women not having a voice to be able to say anything about like you know right but how does that fit into the narrative when the movie's ending it, it yeah by the end it, it doesn't anymore not really and in fact like, it I kind mean, of starts to look a little i have questionable beaten myself up about the the ending scene of this movie because she goes to this halloween party dressed as a nun like a very like kind of sexed up nun because she does the bright red lipstick and um obviously that is just like dripping with symbolism right like that is just um but it's one of those things that you could tell is like a deliberate choice on the filmmakers by by the filmmaker to be symbolic but then the movie gets over and you're kind of like okay that 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 was a cool bit of symbolism and then you're like but what what really did it mean (laughs) exactly is it it just kind of a choice and i know that that i I started this whole conversation my one of my first comments was like oh yeah it just beats you over the head with obvious symbolism you know i brought up night you know dawn of the dead as an example Mm. of of the same kind of thing and that's i still think that's true for like the first half but then what he does with those or doesn't do with those characteristics and those features in the end of the story it makes, like you just said, it makes me question, like, what the fuck did you mean in the first place? Or was it like, we're going to have her mute because it's going to symbolize that women don't have a voice. And then we're just going to run with the movie past that. And it's like, yeah, but you, you're you tagging that along with the entire movie. And it doesn't work yeah. now. At least, well, maybe it does. I mean, or, or, you know, it's not as clear. You, It was very clear in the beginning, and now it's really, really muddy. Um, I mean, yeah, and the nun thing, I mean, you literally could come up with five different theories about what he was trying to say with that, and probably each of them as valid as the next. Um, it certainly meant something to him. I'm, you know, I'm fine with that, like, open to interpretation thing, but it seemed like, you're right, at the beginning, the shit was not open to interpretation, it was, like, very deliberate, and then later in the film, it becomes, you know, kind of up in the air, um, it, it, including the weirdest weirdest thing that he did and maybe not the weirdest thing he did but something i found very interesting is that this the last scene of this movie is a reveal that she did not kill the dog the the little the neighbor lady's dog yeah um was is always scratching at her door trying to get the body parts right he smells the body parts he wants to eat the body parts um he's always barking and scratching and going into her apartment and trying trying to dig them out of places and so finally she gets fed up with him asks they obviously had a relationship where this was okay at one point, but asks if she could take Phil for a walk and goes and takes him down to the, you know, the water and points the gun at him. And then we just assume, everybody assumes she killed the dog, right? Because the dog was sniffing at the body parts. Well, then you find out, well, after all of that, well, she didn't kill the dog. So to me, that's like the end of the movie saying, well, all this shit happened and she went, you know, she went crazy and she killed all those people, but she didn't kill the dog so it's kind of like a letting her off the hook at the last moment there which is interesting because i feel like he spends 20 minutes you know yeah making a point of you know that the damage done to her has pushed her so far to this point where she's irredeemable and then redeems her with the dog scene so and, I don't know, and, and, and I even if he's movie. trying to that's not enough yeah. you know it's like no that no it doesn't not take enough, out that but... she you know just slaughtered a bunch of people it does mean she doesn't have the cruel streak that you see in a lot of the other aggressors in the movie yeah that's kind of what they're trying to say but 
I don't know. Again, it's it's lost. Some really, that part's a bit lost on me. Yeah, but. some really strange again, some really strange decisions here, and and honestly, it's polarized me a bit. And I want I want to get into grading, but I, I it's it, this one's been a tough one to wrestle with. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna I feel throw like it in our first. conversation. I'm actually gonna <laughs> nudge mine down a little bit, but anyway, I'll let you go first. Oh. If you got to give it a grade, what you do? I, I, honestly, I. <laughs> This is the thing that's been hard. Like, I can't tell if I like this or not. Um, well, okay, nobody should like this movie. Oh, it's a tough. This is it's not a, a movie a you watch, like. Yeah. This is not one that you're like, yeah, it's Friday night. Here's my routine. I'm gonna put on this 45 <laughs> and get a glass of scotch. Um, yeah. I'd I'd rather watch a movie about that person, to be honest, because like, what the fuck is wrong with them? Um, <laughs> no, I I think this one again, just to kind of recap, it's got some really bold in your face not subtle symbolism in the beginning that has potential to really do a lot but i i personally just feel like and i'm trying not to view it through a modern lens but i it's it's a bit ahead of its time in many ways with its symbolism so it he ferrer knew knew what he was doing with this i just don't know what the hell he was doing with this (laughs) and that's kind of a hard thing for me because I, I do think like having her mute and having suffered this trauma really says a lot about these types of horrific tragedies and and why you know and it says something about you know not speaking up in the moment and it says a lot about PTSD and it says a lot about you know how we handle trauma and it, it goes down a very dark place absolutely but then it does, I feel, start to really dance very close to the line of just exploitation to be exploited. And mm-hmm. um, I, I feel that hurts it because that symbolism that it drags with it throughout the movie then becomes really, really muddy. Uh, and it loses some of its importance, uh, at least from, from my perspective. And maybe I'm missing something I would love to know more. So I think with all of that, I'm, I'm going to give it a, a, a C-. minus. It's not an easy film to sit through, and what would help it would be a payoff at the end where you feel like you went on this journey for a reason, and at the end, I'm not sure what the reason was. So I, I'm going to give it a C-. minus. Hmm. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of the criticisms, but I, I feel like there's also something going on here that, I don't know, like we talked about, elevates it above something like... Death Wish is a much lauded film that I always talk, I always bring up that I really don't care for. And I think it's just that kind of, um, like we talked about with the Boondock Saints thing, with just it just really seems to be into this whole like vigilante justice thing. And I think this is a good example of a rape revenge movie that just kind of works in that way. Or I should do actually more as a vigilante movie that works because it does talk, it does really focus on the cost for the person who is you know enacting this their, mm-hmm. their justice you know and in fact we like totally watched thana kind of self-destruct throughout this movie like she starts off doing this thing she's empowered but you know a few a few scenes later after a few more murders she's actually a nervous wreck and you know just totally comes apart and um you know starts dressing up and doing this <laughs> crazy yeah. you know no all no holds barred revenge um fantasy so but as a movie, I think this is a fairly well-made movie. It's certainly an exploitation film, but as 
as hard as it is to watch like subject matter wise it still manages to be fairly entertaining um it is one of those like early films in a filmmaker's career where you can tell like great things are going to come and i'm very interested to see more of his work later especially like later on down the line and even down to I me mean, still making films to this day mm-hmm. um and i think zoe lund in this movie or is, i can't figure out what her proper credited name is she was zoe tamerless in the credits i believe for this but is really really good in this movie for a doing a non-speaking role mm-hmm. i've not seen her in his other films i think she, i think he, she was only really in his movies um and then unfortunately died of a drug overdose fairly young she's she's just her performance is very captivating in this movie and she does a very good job with mm-hmm. it considering she's got no dialogue there are some scenes that don't make any sense there's a lot of exploitation he just you know basically there's the about two acts into the movie there's this whole you know slew of scenes that is just like murder 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 <laughs> and um so yeah it's it's certainly not exactly like classy cinema but i think overall i i, I generally like it and i feel like it does have a backbone that is taking its subject matter seriously it's not making a joke out of the violence and, and it's not making a joke out of rape or trauma or the, kind of the heavy things that it it deals with um that being said it's not sorry it's not too heavy to be entertaining is what i'm trying to say i guess just i'm gonna boil it down to that so at the end of the day i think i enjoyed this one it's uh enjoyed a tough word i think i appreciate this one and i think i'd go with like a b minus i i think it's it's a fairly well done certainly an exploitation movie but um yeah i don't know i i i felt like when i came across it again it was one that was worthy of uh checking out again and and of some attention so. i i will give it one last point and that is uh in, in its favor and and that is it really it does a good job and this is actually not as far-fetched as people would like to believe how fucking far some of these assholes will go when a woman doesn't even say anything yeah like the the guy who's the you know claiming to be a well I guess he is a photographer but he's clearly a scumbag and he's like hitting on you know at the restaurant and then he follow he won't leave her alone he keeps following her she never says a goddamn word in the whole movie mm-hmm. unless to him but he takes it as an okay you're coming with me and I'm gonna put my hand around you and lead you here it's real creepy and yeah. I wish I could say that that's all just embellished. I feel like that's one of the strengths this movie has is, yeah. is that, and like I said, it's it's maybe overplayed or exaggerated a bit, but it calls out a bunch of these male behaviors. And there, there are, there's like every different, I don't know about every different type of creep, but it goes through many of the different creep profiles, right? The different types mm-hmm. of people that, you know, the rich guy in the limo, the photographer, just your average, you know, street thug. Um, but... Yeah, like I said, I think there's a there's a period there would have been a period in my life where I'd be like, well, this is just you know this is an exaggeration and this is way over the da da da. But then you, I don't know, you come to find out, and you learn through you know people actually finally being able to you know have have a place where it's safe to share their stories about the the abuses uh, and traumas they've lived through, and you find out like no that this is this is this is the real world. <laughs> like this is yeah. you know maybe slightly exaggerated, but it's. Yeah. This shit happens to people. And... It does. Yeah. Yeah. So. But we would like to continue this conversation with any of our listeners. Have you seen Miss 45? 
Do you have a, a thought on it or a couple of them? Do you have an opinion on revenge movies, especially exploitation movies, whether it's the rape revenge subgenre or just revenge exploitation movies like Death Wish and so on in general? We would love to hear your thoughts on those and any comments, questions, comments, criticisms, or criticisms you would have about the conversation that we've had here tonight. I know it's a bit of a heavier one. We promise next week uh, something that's a little bit more fun. Uh, <laughs> I can't say it won't be disturbing, but at least be maybe a little bit more uh, lighthearted. Uh, but please feel free to share any of your questions or comments with us uh, at the Video Junkier Podcast. You can email us at videojunkierpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can contact us on Twitter at Video Junk Pod. Or find us on Facebook at the Video Junkier Podcast Facebook group or the regular page. If you leave us a comment, we'd be happy to bring it up on the show. And coming up on the Video Junkyard Podcast, we are going to be continuing to scour the uh, 2B TV service to find all of our um, movies that we are reviewing here. And next week, we are going to look at the Ken Russell, um, dare I call it a classic at this point, but Lair of the White Worm. Yeah. And uh, this will start our run of, it should be uh, when this airs, it will be next week will be October. And we're going to do a run of... Um, I guess horror is just going to be our kind of our theme for, you know, for a while. Halloween, for October, yeah. Just run through the month of October, we're going to kind of focus on horror films. But So that should be fun. We'll look at Layer of the White Worm next week, and uh, we'll let you know what's uh, coming up after that. I want to thank you once again for checking out the Video Junkyard podcast. Please feel free to share it around and let other people know what you think. Hopefully good stuff. And hope you tune in next week. Until then, this is Joe Peterson. I'm Eric O'Branson. Have a good night. Have a good evening. Listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go. Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast. On Twitter at Video Junk Pod, and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard? Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafrey. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels.